Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place among the Freightcast family of podcasts here at Freightwaves, where we talk about lots of things, but we kick it off by talking about oil and diesel, and we get our name from the fact that you need to drill for oil. We're going to be joined by our guest of the week in a moment. He's Sam Ajaman. He's the co-founder of Hauler Hub. It's a new startup in the logistics field. It sounds like sort of a digital broker, but Sam says it isn't exactly that. He'll be here to talk about how the supply chain is holding up as the holiday season approaches and also about his company. For trucking companies, having lots of oil in the world is nice, but it isn't the only thing. You've got to have refining capacity to make diesel. What is happening in the refining world is just as important as what's going on with the production of crude oil. And right now, what's going on in refinery is significant. There were reports this week that were confirmed by Phillips 66 that it is looking to sell a refinery in Louisiana near New Orleans that's always been known as the Alliance Refinery. It can process about 250,000 barrels per day of crude. It's been around a long time. It's a long march for how it got here. BP sold it to a company called Tosco in 2000. Tosco got bought by ConocoPhillips. Phillips got Phillips 66 uh, got spun out of ConocoPhillips a few years ago, and now Phillips wants to sell Alliance. Refinery sales are not unusual. They get sold all the time. Sometimes the same company will sell a refinery and then years later end up buying it back. It depends upon its strategy at the time and how that strategy might have shifted. And this isn't the first time it was for sale in recent years. About 10 years ago, ConocoPhillips tried to sell it but did not succeed or at least decided it didn't want to. Here's what you need to know, though, about the refining business. It is a tough one. It seems to be always one of feast or famine. If you have any questions about that, please note this. In 2000, when BP sold Alliance to Tosco, the sales price was $660 million. This week, when the reports came out that Phillips was looking to sell Alliance, the estimates were that the company might get $500 million for it. So that's a decline of $160 million in about 20 years. And I didn't even bother to adjust the 660 for inflation, but it's an incredible drop in value. This sale is a little different, however. It does appear that Phillips is starting to shift its strategy toward more of a sustainable model, at least what it views as sustainable, and it is shifting away from petroleum. A year ago, it closed a refinery in California and converted part of the plant to making renewable diesel. Earlier this month, Phillips said it was taking a 16% stake in an Australian company that provides material to make lithium-ion batteries. Until something better is developed, the lithium-ion battery is going to be what effectively will be the gas tank of electric cars. When the electric vehicle is charged, the power flows into the lithium-ion battery to be stored. Phillips clearly wants to be in that part of the business of providing fuels to EVs, and it doesn't want all its investment being in petroleum. It's all part of a trend that is occurring in several companies. They're not thinking that oil is going to disappear in a rush to more sustainable energy, but they are concerned that at the margins, the assumption of annual growth in oil consumption may be a thing of the past. Now, let's note that forecasters such as the International Energy Agency see continued growth in oil use. They aren't calling for a reversal. But the issue is that nobody wants to be the crude oil producer or the refiner that makes that first barrel of unneeded oil. And capital investment decisions are being made with that in mind. You know, it's been said that at a certain point, the value of a refinery that is operating in weak weak markets will fall to the value of its scrap metal. And at that point, it makes sense to buy it and operate it. I mean, it's a good lesson. But of course, if that were literally true, there wouldn't be any closed refineries. And in fact, there are plenty of them. 
Just in the past, past few years, the big Philadelphia Energy Solutions refinery in the city of Brotherly Love closed. And in the New Orleans area where Alliance is, Shell earlier this year closed the Convent refinery, which is somewhat smaller than Alliance. So there can help but be a concern that Alliance may shut its doors as well. It should be noted that in February, when Convent closed, nationwide operating rates for refineries were below 90%. It's tough to make money in that sort of environment. Most recently, U.S. refining operating rates were about 92%. But in the last few years before the pandemic, at this time of year, which is really the comparison you need to make, those operating rates were 95% and above. That difference between 92 and 95 plus may not seem like much, but it is a significant and worrying difference. And it may mean the difference between uh, red ink and making money. If Phillips 66 can't find a buyer for Alliance and it gets shuttered, it's another refinery gone in the U.S. The Energy Information Administration last year took six refineries out of its calculations for what it refers to as the base operable capacity. These are all plants to close, and included those two I mentioned earlier. It didn't take out the California plant that Phillips 66 has, turn, has turned into a renewable diesel facility, but the amount of renewable diesel coming out of there is not going to offset the loss of the total capacity there, and it certainly isn't going to offset the amount of diesel lost from those other refineries. Over time, the loss of these refineries can't help but have an upward push on the price of diesel. That's kind of the whole point. If the economics don't justify operating them, they won't be staying open. But the problem for truckers is that the demand loss these facilities are facing is a drop in gasoline consumption, not diesel. But diesel supplies are going to be a victim of them as well. And for anybody in the trucking business, that should be a concern. You know, when it's August and you get something in your email that says Santa on it, you tend to take note of it. I got an email just like that the other day, in which from a public relations executive offered me a chance to speak with Sam Ajaman. He's the founder of Hauler Hub. Sam had been on another FreightWaves video program, What the Truck, earlier this year. And what the email suggested was that it was time to get nervous about the ability of the supply chain to meet the needs of getting presents in time by Christmas. So I wanted to have him on Drilling Deep to expand on that. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start first by you talking about Hauler Hub and what it does, how it distinguishes itself in the market. Happy to talk about Hauler Hub all day long. So essentially what Hauler Hub aims to do is to take out that middleman, which is the traditional 3PL and broker model, and put shippers and, and haulers directly together. So we're offering a service as a platform where essentially if you've got a load to ship, we're going to connect you to a driver that can take your load instantly, get that thing uh, loaded and on the road. So all of the uh, the critical things that need to go into the logistics uh, side, we already have those pain points thought out. All you have to do is connect. We put it that we put it there, and we save you money in the process. Uh, I mean, is it? Do you consider yourself a digital broker? Do you fall into that category, or do you distinguish yourself from that? I think we're distinguished from like the digital brokers and the uh, digital load boards because we're a one-stop shop in logistics. We're offering a full service experience. We've got 24-hour uh, customer service, seven, uh, 24-7, seven days a week. It's kind of literally just giving you all of those great customer service things you come to expect from a third party, like a 3PL or a broker, without the absorbent fees. And when, how long have you been in business? So we're actually pre-launch. 
So we're poised to launch this year. All right, go well. well okay, good, good luck. Now let's let's talk about this year. Are you going to be launching right into one of the craziest uh, freight markets in a long time? Uh, so it is. Let, let, let's talk about your your issues with Santa and the supply chain. What what are you envisioning? It's I have started to see references to uh, some retailers being concerned about delays in products to sell on the shelves. Uh, what are you seeing now? What what, what concerns you? You talk about Santa's uh, surcharge. Maybe you can expand on that. Well, when you think about the literally the, the, the old economic principle of supply and demand, you're going to see that people play with things like uh, dynamic charging or surcharges, et cetera. That's all stemming from, you know, there being a very high demand and having enough resources to meet that demand. So as a customer too, you know, it's not a fun thing to pay an increased fee because the demand is high. But on the supply side of it, it kind of weeds up the customers that may not necessarily be willing to pay that increase. And then you're able to, to keep that demand for those that are willing to pay. It, it, it's, a, it's kind of a slippery slope because, you know, there's really no, um, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. It's like when demand goes up, so does pricing. But it's something that has been around for quite some time. So do you really see surge pricing as weeding out a lot of companies? You know, the, I guess the tendency is to, is to think, well, hey, if somebody's got to send it, they got to send it. I mean, if, if you have surge pricing uh, as we approach the holidays, do you think it'll really uh, thin things out? I think that especially in the North American markets, people are willing to pay. So if you've got a niece in Peoria and she wants the purple sweater that you had selected for her, you're going to find a way to get it to her regardless. I, I think that, you know, in business and as a consumer as well, it's always a fine little dance that we do to, you know, both increase our demand and then also have it met. So when you're talking about goods that are domestic, I think that's going to be a lot easier to facilitate. We're talking about goods that are coming from overseas. If you're coming in ocean freight or air, it's going to have a lot of an increase in price due to fuel and transportation costs. All right. So um, let me ask, uh, what, how much do you, how much would you imagine surge pricing to add to, let's say, if you have a base rate now and you start to see more surge pricing? And I guess there has been some surge pricing that's already been announced. FedEx, I think, announced an, an increase. What is going to be the, the scope of that surge pricing? Well, you know, it's really kind of hard to uh, zero in on a particular uh, industry percentage. So many different types of private sectors are going to charge however they see fit, and they're going to start rolling out those prices. And, and we've already seen that, really, you know, when we're talking about the holiday season in particular, that prices tend to go up. You may find your deals, but there's always some kind of trade-off that you're, you're dealing in that transaction. So if you're, uh, let's go back to the sweater analogy. If your sweater is going to be less expensive, then the cost of shipping it's going to be higher. So there's always a way that we as consumers find a way to pay. I feel that, you know, that that, that kind of uh, depends on the individual uh, businesses and what they are, are looking to, you know, uh, gain in that pricing model. It, it, it just varies. I, 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 I would hate to throw out like a, a random number for you, but I really do see that this is something that's, unfortunately here to stay because demand has literally been record high, especially uh, during this pandemic. Well, the price mechanism uh, is always designed to both 
uh, tamp down uh, tamp down demand, increase supply. Uh, you already talked about the fact that you thought you, you mentioned you called it supply, but really, uh, the, the, I think I guess you meant supply of goods into the chain. But um, you really, what I, I thought you were talking about was demand, um, and uh, whether demand is going to go ahead or not. Is surge pricing going to increase supply at all? Are companies able to bring on more workers? Are they bring, able to bring on more trucks to move goods in a already strained supply chain? Or is it just kind of pushing on a string at this point? Well, John, that's an excellent question. And that's one that remains to be seen. You know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, the shortage in truck drivers and, and workers across our, our, our country is going to be mitigated when we have these very real demands that are facing us, whether it's e-commerce, whether it is, you know, going to your grocery store, like prices are raising are being raised all over the place. And, you know, we're having to kind of keep up with the price, uh, the prices that as they are. I think that unfortunately it's going to be something that we're going to have to wait and see. I, I think it's trending to go higher. I, I would like to think that they're able to, increase the, their labor force to make sure that the demand is met. But we're really going to have to wait and see. I mean, uh, experts have been predicting a bottlenecking uh, during the holiday season for several months now. So I don't think that forecast has changed. Okay. What are you, so when, when, when you're trying to start a company that's going to move into this space and you're moving, you're doing it at one of the craziest times ever, I mean, how often are you having to, I won't say rip up your, uh, your plans and start anew, but you must be having to be changed on the fly all the time. Uh, I think that's a very observant question. <laughs> you know, you really have to be agile. I mean, that's kind of like what the pandemic has taught all of us is to be uh, more agile and to kind of keep our eye on the problems of not just today, but the problems that are going to be coming down the pike in the future. You know, that ability to quickly adapt and to be changeable is, is vital for any business. I think that, you know, again, just refer back to uh, the exposure that the pandemic gave to our uh, supply chains globally has been really critical because now we're able to see, you know, there were some problems there and that now's the time to kind of, you know, do some problem solving and fixing them. Do you see any signs that the capacity is increasing, the ability to move goods is moving higher? I know that there are some numbers, uh, an analyst told me once that his sort of favorite number out there is in the Landstar earnings and the number of people that are classified as BCOs. And I know when they came out with their second quarter earnings, the BCO numbers were up at a pretty healthy level. They were rising. Uh, and uh, do you see any signs that capacity is loosening up? Well, I mean, I would sure hope so. I'm hopeful. You know, at the same time, we have to recognize that, you know, we're still in the thick of things. We're hopefully we're hopefully moving in that direction. I, I I think that again, remaining agile and 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 being able to see that these are real issues that need action, not just contemplation. I think that's part of the of the crux of the issue. Okay, what uh, you know you you in the the note that your that your PR person sent me, you referred to three PLs and what they need to do. First of all, do you consider yourself a three PL? We are not. Okay. <laughs> But, 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 but what, you, what you sent me seemed to indicate that you thought a lot of the fixing of the supply chain was on the 3PLs. So maybe that's not a correct interpretation on my part, but uh, can you expand on that? Well, sure. I mean, you know, there are a lot of things that are adding to the confluence of where we are today. You know, we've got a driver shortage. You know, why are drivers, you know, 
why, why is that particular industry like dying out, so to speak? We've got people that are aging out of the process. A lot of the drivers are retiring. We have people that are, you know, driving, but they're simply not making it profitable enough to do so. Because essentially, when you're looking at some of the exorbitant fees that are paid to these third parties, whether it be brokerages or uh, 3PLs, it can be in excess of 30%. So before you even post that load, someone's already taken a nice sizable part of that pie before anything's even cubed out or put on a trailer. So with that kind of ideology, with that kind of thought process, it has to be dismantled. It has to be disrupted. It has to be, people have to understand that you have to make a living in order to continue this very vital resource of people making sure that we have food and grocery stores and, you know, um, clothes and retail outlets, et cetera. It's, it's very important for us to really take a look at where we're at in order to know and forecast where we're going. So when you, when you look at the driver squeeze at, plat, at the freightways, we tend not to call it the driver shortage, uh, but we'll call it the driver squeeze. Uh, outside, of, <laughs> outside of more pay, which obviously is always answer number one on how to fix it, what else do you see as some of the solutions? I think really kind of in, in creating an environment where you're inviting in the next generation of drivers. You know, the majority of uh, carriers on the road, they're smaller, they're independent. You know, we're talking five trucks or less. So being able to make sure that those people are able to take care of their people and keep their their steady uh, revenue of income in, that's, that's, that's incredibly important. Being able to reach out and, and, and incorporate schools to invite new people, Generation Z, into this process and let them know that, hey, driving's cool. You can have your own independent career path and do what you want and make your own way. And letting them know that, hey, this is something that can be for you. You know, I know that there was recently an article about how the industry is reaching out to more women to participate in driving. I think that just kind of opening up this sphere and this, this sector to more and more people is just the right way to go. Let's go back to your business. Um, you, you, you said you're not a load board, but it sounds to me like you've got a lot of load board aspects of it. So, Fair enough. <laughs> um, so, okay, so so we know what a, a load board is. It puts together buyer and seller, and then it kind of that's the end of the relationship. So uh, let's say buyer and seller meet, you know, a carrier and shipper meet on uh, on a hauler hub, and then what do you do after that? That's different than a load board. Well, that's a great question. First of all, we want to have customer retention, and the way that I think that we're able to we will be able to achieve that is by giving a seamless customer service experience. That's the reason why people rely so heavily on 3PLs and brokerages because there's someone in between liaising. We're not saying that you don't need to have someone to give you that full transparency. We're just saying that we can do it for you in a very cost-effective, transparent way, meaning that you're not going to be paying these, these wild fees out of nowhere. You're going to have a flat fee. It's not going to vary. It's not going to change. There's no, there's no dynamic pricing or surge pricing. <laughs> You know, we're just trying to connect folks together so that they can get their products moved and they have loads to move the products for. And how did you find the market for financing uh, your operation? I'm assuming you've got some VC money there. Uh, you know, the, 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 the conventional wisdom is that VC companies are really, really want to put money into the supply chain. Did you find that? Well, 
obviously, we're always open to more investment. So thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, I think that one thing that I've noticed is that because this is such a unusual time and a, a huge interest around logistics and supply chain, you know, uh, from very early on, like how are we going to distribute all this back, all these vaccines, and you know, all the different things that are components of logistics that have been literally topics on the news cycle, pretty much every week, if not every day. I've never seen this topic be so widely discussed before ever in my life. And I, I think you can attest to that as well. I think it's a very, very fertile time for people in this industry to not only be seen, but also to allow some room to kind of shake things up and to rethink how we do things. You know, incorporating uh, maybe some fresh technology, like uh, incorporating some AI and machine learning to get those data points into actionable forecasts, what we can do with it. You know, look at something like the Suez Canal and, you know, how it just demonstrated how if you're not agile, everything stops. You know, it's really important to recognize that a lot of these things are preventable, but you have to think not in the terms of now, but what's coming later. And I think that as long as a lot of people in the private sector and in this field are able to look a little bit further down the road, we can really take advantage of some of the lessons that this pandemic has brought to us. All right, let's go full circle to what we first talked about. Uh, we talked about Santa and the holiday season. Uh, okay. it's, not, it's not that far away. Is, is it too late for this to be saved or are the problems just kind of locked in place and they're going to be there? Well, you know, I'm ever hopeful. I feel like people, especially in this industry, are always trying to find ways to take care of their customer. So I think that there are probably going to come some really creative solutions for kind of unraveling this bottleneck that we're experiencing now. Uh, I'm also realistic. And I think that, you know, there's going to be some challenges that we're going to have to face directly. And, you know, time is something that we don't really have a lot of. It's constantly fleeting. So we have to be able to really walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to recognize that there's a problem that's literally moments down the road and then also kind of still keep the supply chain moving as it is right now. You know, I, I think that when it comes to things that are happening, because we're all interconnected, this is a global supply chain, whether goods are coming from overseas or they're made domestically, there has to be some sort of transparency and accountability for how things are moving and then action as to how to get things to kind of, you know, move in the direction that they need to go. And that action, it's not for later or in 2022, it's, it's for right now. Sam, you're too young to use the walk and chew gum analogy. I mean, that goes back to the 60s. <laughs> anyway, we want to thank Sam Ajaman. He's the founder of Hauler Hub, which is not yet in business, but is certainly working to be there. Do you have an estimated launch date, Sam? So just correction, co-founder. Um, co-founder. Amazing people. Uh, brothers Beck and Sam Burkan. Uh, this is their baby they birthed that I was just help, er, ushering into the world. And of course, Tessa Orock, who does our operations. It's it's a small team, but we're very excited. And hopefully we're launching right smack dab in the middle of it all in November. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, we want to thank you for joining us here on Drilling Deep today. And uh, you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston. Please join us again 